Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to How About That Crypto, your home for regular crypto and Web3 news and updates with your host, Bitcoin Stylist. Today's news and updates are Rayscale sues the SEC. What is the latest update on that? And what is that all about? Uh, customers of bankrupt crypto exchange Voyager may be able to get up to 76% of their money. That includes me, and that's great to hear. Let's find out more. And stablecoin issuer Tether is going to set up how many ATMs across uh, Brazil? 24,000 ATMs in Brazil. What does all this mean not to worry? I'm going to explain it all. But first, like, subscribe, comment. If you leave a comment below, please let me know. Please, like, it helps support the channel, and I really appreciate it. If you're listening on podcasts, please give me a rating and uh, subscribe and follow. It helps support the channel, make sure that these messages get circulated. And in light of the fact that we still don't have regulations and they're working on them, we need to make sure to circulate this content as much as possible. So help me out, do your part, make content, subscribe, you know, like, other con crypto content, but get let's make sure that this is spreading out there. Don't forget, this is not financial advice. This is for entertainment purposes. Use the links below to do your own research. All right. So let's just, I'm just going to jump right into these stories. I think these are some really good stories here and they're, I think they're interesting and I think they're just show the continued development of the crypto space. Okay, so I'm going to share my screen and all right. Okay, so author Dylan Kroll reports for Yahoo Finance, Grayscale CEO on suing the SEC. This lawsuit isn't about Bitcoin. All right, so just to give you a little bit of background, the SEC filed a, uh, has been has approved multiple Bitcoin future ETFs. So first of all, an, what is an ETF? An ETF is an exchange-traded fund. Uh, think of it as a way to invest in a sector or a commodity without actually having to buy all the companies in a sector or buy the actual commodity. You can buy like a... Um, so let's say you want to invest in electric vehicles. So you might find an electric vehicle ETF, but you know, you're you might like Tesla, but you might feel like, oh, maybe Tesla doesn't end up being the big winner from here. You know, they've had so much growth. Maybe you're like, I don't know how much more growth they're gonna have. But I know Hyundai and Kia and BMW are all working on their own electric vehicles. So you might buy an elect EV ETF, and an EV ETF will give you exposure to all of those companies potentially i mean all the ETFs are different they're balanced different maybe 20 percent will be tesla 10 percent kia honda is five percent so like you know they'll break it up like that and uh, you have to pay a fee a management fee they take a percentage of the total money that's invested and they use that to run the business, do research, constantly rebalancing the fund. Well, you can also do that with commodities. And uh, Bitcoin is a commodity, according to the basically everybody in a position of power. However, there is no um, there is no law written and to say that it's commodity, but for right now, it is a commodity. And it, that means that it's like gold or oil or or lithium or 
soybeans. Those are commodities. That means you know they're fungible, meaning that one is not different than the other, and uh, they are their price is based solely on supply and demand, not by the efforts of a third party like a management company or a CEO or a board of directors, you know, etc. Okay, so. So there are ETFs for Bitcoin, but only in futures, meaning it's a contract that agrees to buy Bitcoin at a certain price. So then you can bet on bet on Bitcoin. But the problem is it's an imperfect tool in Bitcoin. And there's no Bitcoin ever purchased in these in the for to settle up those contracts. So what happens is the there's something called a spot ETF. And a spot ETF means that it trades relative to the price of bit the spot price of bitcoin and the spot price is basically think of it this way if you want to trade on the spot right now right here then this is the price of bitcoin so whenever you check the price of bitcoin that's would be considered spot price like what is it currently trading at so basically if people buy the bitcoin et spot etf then it will go up in value as demand increases because supply is fixed. So as in, as demand increases, then so would the price. And But every time that the, the price increases, this spot ETF has to ha, has to go out and actually buy Bitcoin. So it'll reduce the supply on the market because they'll be holding it. Now, when they sell, when the price goes down, they have to sell the, the Bitcoin. Now, in order to keep the price of the ETF rel directly reflecting the price of Bitcoin. So basically the price of a spot ETF is, is has to move up and down with the price. And that means they're buying and selling Bitcoin. So it's like, imagine like a huge buyer and seller of Bitcoin. So the industry wants this product out on the market because it should create a big buying event, which should cause the price to go up even more. That's the theory anyway. Anyway, okay, so Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, you can buy Bitcoin on the stock market by using the GBTC or Grayscale Bitcoin Trust company you can invest in there. But the thing with a trust is they buy the Bitcoin, but they, they can't, there's something like they can't create and destroy the shares or sell and buy and sell the same way. So right now, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, the the price of that ticker, the GBTC ticker, is is down, but it's lower than the value of the Bitcoin they owe. When you take the total, the the cost, the va the cost. Sorry, when you take the price of GBTC ticker symbol, say it's a hundred dollars. But when you multiply it by all the shares out there, so let's just say, keep the number simple. There's 10 shares and there's $100 a share. That means there's $1,000. Uh, they they have a, their total market cap is $1,000. So, and then you took and see how much Bitcoin they own and you figure out like, well, if there's a thousand, if it's totally worth $1,000, they should have $1,000 of Bitcoin. Well, right now, it's kind of like, the the price is a thousand, but the value of their Bitcoin is thirty percent more. It's like ink is worth more than what the actual price is. So it doesn't move up and down with the with Bitcoin. So anyway, it's kind of technical, but basically what you need to know if you don't understand anything I said is a spot Bitcoin ETF will buy 
and sell Bitcoin, meaning it will reduce the supply or increase the supply available on the market to purchase, which creates buying or selling pressure, which creates, you know, helps move the market. All right. Let's just read, listen to this. Uh, this I'm going to let him explain what's going on. This is the CEO of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. There you go. Oh, you know what? Hold on, sorry. I um, I didn't optimize it for sharing my video. Sorry about that. All right, let's go back here. But why don't we start off with talking about your lawsuit that you filed against the Securities and Exchange Commission and get us up to speed on the whole legal dispute there. Sure, so Grayscale operates today the largest Bitcoin fund in the world, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, ticker GBTC. It has been trading publicly since 2015 and we have long held conviction that this should be an ETF. We wanna to work towards having it become an ETF and work proactively with regulators. We had filed an application to convert it to an ETF, and that was rejected by the SEC this summer. The same day the SEC rejected that application, we filed a lawsuit challenging that decision. And we really feel that this lawsuit is, is not, Andy, it's not just about Bitcoin. This is about putting forward, you know, straightforward, common sense legal arguments um, that really ensure that investors are protected and that the SEC is acting within their mandate. And so since that time, our legal team has been behind the scenes working furiously on the case. And just this uh, last week, we filed the opening brief for the lawsuit. Some new arguments outlined in there, and probably the most significant of them is this idea of a significant market test. The SEC created this significant market test really out of nowhere. We've never seen them do this before for any other product, any other commodity that we've ever seen. And it applied it very, very stringently to spot Bitcoin ETFs like GBTC, but very leniently to Bitcoin futures ETFs, hence why we have several of them on the market. So the SEC is really acting outside of its authority under the Exchange Act. And um, that's really one of the strongest arguments. But again, this is not just about Bitcoin. This is about straightforward. Okay, so there you go. He talked about all the things that I tried to explain, define for you. Uh, hopefully that helped hear him. So basically there, he, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, I'm pretty sure they had multiple applications for a spot ETF that got denied. But this last one, they decided to sue. And what they're, what he's saying is that the SEC is like, oh, well, we have to do a market test. And they're like, no, you don't. You've never done a market test before. What are you talking about? What is this market test? They're like, well, we're doing this market test. And it didn't pass. But futures ETF passed, but a spot ETF didn't. And the arguments I've heard are that these tests that they would do, if you have to, any, any sort of decision making that the SEC does, by law has to apply the same standards to all applications and all commodities and all products you know you have to compare apples to apples and you can't treat one apple differently than another apple because then it looks like you're picking winners and then that is direct conflict of interest you're not protecting investors you are only doing something that you as a person think is what's best that is not their job they are a government organization they have rules to follow and they are not supposed to be deciding who is going to be successful in that out in 
out there. You know, they're basically re restricting capital flow into Bitcoin. And uh, it, there's no reason why, and because they approved the futures ETF. So the question is, well, why? What's the difference? And uh, in terms of regulation. So anyway, let's keep going. Uh, if you have anything to add to this, please let me know. I know it's a little complex and the rest of the stories won't be this long, but there's some technical technical stuff. So I'm going to read a little bit here. So Grayscale Investment filed its first brief last week in its, in its legal battle with the SEC over the agency's refusal to let it convert its Bitcoin fund into an exchange-traded fund. And then the... The CEO says, we really feel like this lawsuit is about Bitcoin. Okay, you just said that. It's about putting freight, straightforward, common sense legal arguments. Basically saying, like, look, this is not a crypto thing. This is the SEC is breaking the law. They're outside of their mandate. They're manipulating the market. They're not protecting investors. They're doing things based on their own personal feelings, and they're not applying the same step tests to everything. They're singling out Bitcoin. Not okay. As a matter of fact, it's kind of disgusting. So anyway, all right. So now I'm going to read you these paragraph, a couple of paragraphs, more paragraphs. Here we go. One second. Okay. The company is asking a federal appeals court in Washington, D.C. to review the SEC's decision containing that the agency had applied stricter standards to spot ETFs and futures ETFs, the latter which the agency has approved. And then we've never seen them do this before on any other product, any other commodity that we've seen. And it and it, it applied it very stringently to spot Bitcoin ETFs like the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust or GBTC, but very leniently to Bitcoin futures ETFs. So the SEC is really acting outside its authority under the S Securities and Exchange Act. So there you go. Uh, that's I think that that's really interesting. What do you all think? Um there's a little another thing that he said later on. It says you have bills passing across the floor of Congress, both sides of the aisle supporting it. You have companies moving outside the U.S. because our regulatory landscape isn't catching up fast enough with the innovation taking place. And you have the SEC screwing with people because why? Why? No reason. Protect investors. It doesn't even sound like that. I even believe it anymore. It sounds like a soundbite. It's just something that they could always say, oh, we're protecting investors. But that's not good enough. You need to explain yourself, my opinion. Okay, SEC is due to a file response by November 9th. So we'll keep it, keep it up to date with that. So let me know what you think about that. Do you, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts. If I got any of that stuff wrong, I would love for somebody to correct me. Uh, leave a comment below and I am moving on. All right. So author Sandy Handagama, Handagama reports for Coindesk. Customers of bankrupt crypto lender Voyager could recover 72% of their funds if FTX sale is approved. Report. A judge still needs to approve a bankruptcy payout plan, and the company could still scrap the deal in favor of a higher bid. So if you've been following along or you've been paying attention at all, you know that the crypto market collapsed. You would know that some of these some of these platforms that were lending out their money, they collapsed. They went into bankruptcy. Voyager Digital is one of them. You would also know that I am a Voyager Digital investor. I'm also a Voyager Digital user. And which makes me a creditor, which means that they have my money on their platform and therefore they owe it to me. So as a creditor, how much money will I get back? How much money will you get back? If you had a thousand dollars on 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 Voyager, how much of that thousand dollars are you going to get back? Are you going to get any of it? I was hoping to get like 25, 30 
percent. And now I'm seeing 72%. I'm like, yeah, I'll take 72%. I mean, geez, that would be amazing. Okay, let's uh dig in here a little bit. Okay, so court documents show customers of bankrupt crypto lending platform Voyager Digital could recover 72% of their investments if a bid by FTX US to buy the lender goes through. But the sale won't close until a judge approves Voyager's payout plans. So FTX is a crypto exchange and is owned by Sam Bankman-Fried, which he went around trying to buy up all these crypto exchanges in a really good way for him to increase his customer base. Also to be looking, he being referred to as the Warren Buffett or the Rockefeller of the of the time in the crypto space because they was going around bailing people out in the midst of a collapse. And yeah, so they offered to buy Voyager Digital and then giving the money to the customers if they open an FTX account. So they'll give you the money right away in U.S. dollars and uh, whatever of whatever they have left. All right, let's keep going. The Toronto-based Voyager filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in the U.S. Southern District Court in New York back in July. At the time, it had around 100,000 creditors. I'm one of them. And between $1 billion and $10 billion in assets. That's a big spread. How do they not know how much assets they have? The bankruptcy filing was followed by a bidding war to buy the embattled lender, which Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX winning the race in September. So that's where we're at right now. Who knows how long it's this is going to go on for, but it says, let's see, where does it say? It, it says, during a hearing on Wednesday, U.S. Bankruptcy Court Judge Michael E. Wiles approved an, um, a, an arrangement where Voyager can scrap the FTX deal if a better offer materializes that promises customers a chance to recover more of their funds. Wiles may consider approving Voyager's bankruptcy plan in December, a prerequisite for approving the sale. The firm has also requested Wiles' permission to send its payout plan to customers for a vote. That's interesting. It's trying to stay with like decentralization, maybe theme. But so anyway, you, they gotta let's see how long does he have to approve it. That's a big question. It just says they have to approve it. And it says here December. So it says Wiles may consider approving Voyager's bankruptcy plan payout plan in December. So there you go. Uh, we will keep an eye on that. 76% sounds amazing. I had a lot more money than that on there that I was talking about, my examples. So what do you think about this? Do you think this is good news? Would you like to get your money back? Do you have? Did you lose any money? Please leave a comment below. And I am moving on to our last story of the day. Author Paulo Alves reports for Coindesk, stablecoin issuer Tether to make USDT available at 24,000 ATMs in Brazil. The con conversion of Tether to Brazilian reals and vice versa will be managed by local crypto service provider SmartPay in conjunction with TechBan, which owns the ATMs. Okay, so this is really interesting. All right, so here we go. Let's read a little bit here to get use some information stablecoin issuer tether or usdt will make it available will make tether available at twenty four thousand atms in brazil starting november 3rd that's interesting so the atm is just to swap between usdt and the brazilian real so you can buy use your brazilian real buy usdt and then and then use it to trade crypto 
or use it for transactions uh, across borders, I guess, or use it to send to family in other countries. Tether will enable the conversion of USDT to Brazilian reals through an engagement with Brazilian crypto services provider SmartPay, which is integrated in TechBan, a, a local company that owns 24,000 ATMs under the brand name of Banco 24 Horas. All right, so... I'm going to read a little bit more here. I think this is interesting because in Brazil could see a ton of capital leaving to go to U.S. dollars. Like, I feel like right now with everything that's going on, I think that, you know, using with everybody, so many countries currency being um, inflating, I feel like you wouldn't want to give your your citizens access to capital like outside capital, because that'll just increase the inflation. However, we have not seen enough buying pressure for countries to be concerned about capital leaving their country through crypto, causing causing their inflation to be worse. But anyway, let's read this. Adding Tether tokens to ATMs across Brazil provides the opportunity to include more people in the financial system, said Tether Chief Technology Officer Paulo Ardoino. This will bring major changes not only to the payments industry, but to the entire Brazilian financial ecosystem. Brazilians transacted 1.4 billion USDT in August across 79,836 operations, according to Tether. So basically a $1.4 billion worth of transactions of Tether, which is supposed to be equal to $1. In May, Tether launched its MXNT token, like Mexican T token or Mexican token, pegged to the Mexico's peso as a testing ground in Latin America. The firm said at the time, adding that in the initiative was intended to pave the way for more fiat pegged tokens of the region. So Tether's expanding the more access to crypto and stable coins that people have. The the easier it'll be to get into the crypto space by doing it through ATMs. You don't have to worry about uh, about dealing with like a centralized exchange. You might not even have to give your identif identification. You maybe you just put the cash in, and then it gives you like I don't know a wallet address or or I think they give you like a QR code, and that you use that to like deposit it into your wallet. I think it gave you the keys or something like that. So anyway, you put the cash in, you get the crypto and you transfer it into your wallet. And then you can trade crypto in a DeFi space. You don't need to ever like give your identity, which I think is interesting. And especially it's really interesting if you're poor and unbanked or, you know, or unfortunately unbanked or unbanked in general because you know like, you don't even have access to crypto if you're unbanked but if you use one of these atms you can anyway i think this is really interesting i think it's cool because brazil has had a lot of positive news and then they're legal and and legally and so brazil could be a place to keep your eye out for in the crypto space so anyway what do you think about this this that's the news uh, i think this is i personally think this is all really positive news this is like the infrastructure this is a legal situation with grayscale i think that once we get to spot ETFs and we see how it trades, that means all the people who are weary about getting into crypto would be able to buy it from their Charles Schwab account or their whatever account where they keep 
their money and they don't want to open up another account at some offshoot fintech company and like let give them all of their kyc information like their social and their driver's license like i don't want to give that out then i i just want to be able to trade it where i keep my money at right now and so the more stuff like this happens the better it'll be so we want grayscale to be able to turn their etf their trust into the ETF plus if you own it like I do and you buy it now, you're buying it like a 20 or 30% discount. So if it gets converted, then in theory, I should just get a windfall. I should make an automatic 20 or 30% in theory. So anyway, let me know what you think. Leave a comment below. I'd love to hear from you. Hot along.